Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Irish patients have been warned against going abroad for a weight loss procedure and they've been warned against travelling um, for weight loss procedures because it's thought many cases that could be ineffective and given uh, a number of issues that have arose in, in recent months as well from some complications and surgeries that some patients have had when they travel abroad. But we're asking, why do people travel abroad? And could more not be done here to help people in Ireland Um should the HSE do more to help people living with obesity? Leanne is with us on the line today. Leanne, I believe you had a weight loss surgery. Yes, indeed, I did have a weight loss surgery. It would have been October 21. I, the 26th of October 21, I went to Turkey and had the gastric sleeve surgery done. And how, can I, why did you decide, Leanne, to, to go for it abroad? Um, because of the price difference of Ireland was 12,000 and over there was like I got it for 2,400. So there's a considerable jump in the price. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. Did that worry you that there was such a like there was such a saving? Not not when I was booking it no because um, I knew a few people had gone over to get it done so it was intriguing to see that they can, this surgery could be done for a lot less than what they were charging here in Ireland. So um, I jumped on the bandwagon to go. So I did. And how did it go for you? Um, terrible. May I add? Okay. Um, when I first got the surgery done, um, four of us went over all together and three of them got done the Monday evening and I got done the Tuesday morning. And on the when I got back from my surgery to put me back into another surgical gown where the rest of um, my friends had been put into PJs after their surgery in the Monday evening. So I was a bit concerned about that and I'd asked about it. Why was I being put back into the gown? They were like, oh yeah, it's okay, it's only procedure. And I was like, no, it's not because my friends got put into PJs and I'm being put into another surgical gown. And they're like, no, no, you're fine, you're fine. But in the meantime, I was vomiting blood, which the surgeon had come up to see me and had said, look, that can be normal. Some blood could go into your stomach after I was cutting your stomach and stapling back up and that. So I was like, okay. So it's when they done the, you get this test and then you have a tube in, like a drainage tube if you have excess blood, whatever, the blood drains out of this tube. So I believe. So before that tube comes out, you, you're getting this stuff. It's horrible tasting stuff to drink. It's like a dye to see have you any internal bleeding. So I'd done that and they told me I was fine. So they took out my drain on this Friday, and which was a bit alarming as well because I kept saying, when is my, tube being, my drain being taken out? Because my friend got theirs taken out on the Wednesday, but I got mine done the, and they had their operation on the Monday. So realistically, mine should have been taken out on the Thursday. But they didn't take mine out until Friday evening and I was flying home at three o'clock the following morning. So, um, sorry, seven o'clock the following morning, mm. but we were leaving the hospital at 3 a.m. So I was like, okay, this is a bit weird. We're like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. But when they had taken out my train, I started bleeding heavily out through the hole. So a nurse came in and she just applied um, a bandage on it and just said I was fine. So I was like, okay, because they're medically trained, so I just took their word for it. So um, 
on the way home, I was freezing cold. I was um, where everyone else was roasting. They were taking off their hoodies and that, giving them to me to wrap myself in because I was just really, really cold. And which didn't alarm me either that I was shivering. So obviously I had an infection that I didn't know about. And then on the, that was the sash that I got home sash even on the, on the bus journey down from Dublin to Clare where I live. It was, I was waking up and sleeping and waking up and sleeping and mm. no one else was like that, only me. So I just thought it's because I probably didn't get enough sleep during the week and I was up because I was... The whole so, t- the, commotion of, yeah, going through the surgery yeah. and that, yeah. Yeah, so I was putting it down to that. So I got home on the Saturday evening and the Sunday, the Monday, I felt okay. Even Tuesday morning, I felt fine. But it's just on the Tuesday, um, I was meant to go back to work on the Wednesday. And I just said I'd have a Netflix day in bed day on the Tuesday just to relax because I had been, you know, up and going all mm. weekend as well, thinking I was okay. And then I just felt very dizzy and I collapsed on the Tuesday at home. And when I came around, um, I rang my sister to see where she finished work because my partner was out the back, but his phone was in the house charging. So um, when I was calling him, he obviously he couldn't hear me because he was out in the back and I was in the house. And so I rang my sister and she'd come over to the house. She was calling to me anyway, so she'd come over and I just said to her, I don't feel well to bring up, I thought I was dehydrated because I felt dizzy. So I asked her to bring me up some Diorolite and a bottle of water from the fridge. So um, when she saw me, she said, no, you need an ambulance. So she went down, got my partner, he came up and he said, ring an ambulance now. So when the ambulance came, they took my blood sugar levels, which were 16, which was very high and I'm not diabetic, I never was. And they were saying, like, I have a massive infection because my blood sugar levels were so high. Okay. So they took you to hospital and, and what did they... Yeah. I had to go straight into resource because my blood pressure had dropped to 47 over... 48 over 27. And um, so in the hospital, they were saying, where is because I was in pain then at that stage mm. and I said, my stomach is painful. So they'd done a seat. I told them I had gone to Turkey to get the gastric sleeve operation done. So they strayed into CT scan and it showed that I had internal bleeding. So um, it showed as well that it was coming from my spleen. So then as they were trying to, they took ring my partner because he was my next kid to come out and obviously say goodbye mm. to me because I was dying. And um, then they told him that I, I was sepsis, I was in septic shock, that um, he had to wait around, I think it was, I was in the theatre for five to six hours. Right. So he had to wait around. They were giving him a room across from the theatre because if I died, uh, he'd identify me. So um, they were saying, like, it's touch and go. We don't know whether she's going to make it or not. We're just praying that she will. So in fairness to them now, they were absolutely amazing mm-hmm. out in UHL and Limerick. I couldn't fault them. From the minute I got in there, they were working on me, like, getting, because um, I'd lost so much blood, I could get 11 points of blood in because as they were pumping the blood in, it was coming out again because I had a hole yeah. in my spleen, but it was due to the gastric sleeve operation. They'd nicked my spleen as they were um, operating on me, but never informed me that this had they had done it. Okay. And how did it finish up, Leanne? How did it, like, I mean, how are you now in the aftermath of all this having had? So, so you've had more surgery since you came back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've had the um, spleen removed. So not only had... I got my three little holes from my gastric sleeve operation. I now have a big 
scar going across my stomach um, because they had to, not due to not their fault, 100%. I'm so happy because it's clean out my system because I was poisoned, obviously, from the sepsis and I had an infection and everything in my stomach, so it's clean it all. And um, I was, I, I'm left with a big scar. I'm on antibiotics for the rest of my life. Um, I highly contagious to um, bacterial infections, like I have to get injections of pneumonia injection every five years. I have to get the meningitis, the melancholic injection every five years. I have to get the flu injection every year. I have to keep up on top of my COVID injections because if I get COVID, it could kill me because if it turns, I could get sepsis at any stage of my life. So I'm like a walking time bomb, basically, because I don't know. Now, okay, people can live with their spleen. Totally get that. I know loads now that you learn from when you have Mm. no spleen yourself. You learn how to um, deal with infection control. Like... um, you know, I have to watch where I handle things, sanitise yeah. constantly. So it's just when, when, when you hear the message then about, I suppose, doctors, Irish doctors now, you know, just like, I suppose it, it depends where you go or where you get surgery abroad. And look, I know, obviously, it's it's not, not the same in, in, in every place. And I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, I know from talking to medics here, one of the points they always make is that um, it's a lot about the aftercare, Leanne, isn't it? You know, after surgery like that. Oh, 100 million percent. Yeah. Definitely um, aftercare. Like, I didn't know. They told me as well that, um, oh, you have a, you've been a dietitian being touched with you. I never heard anything from anyone unless I asked the doctor myself. Like, the doctor told me that it was my blood thinners that caused my spleen to bleed. And I said, to, <laughs> I know millions of people in blood thinners. They don't, they've never had, um, and day, they've day, never lost and day, because day, of a blood thinner. And day to day, Leanne, now, like, how are you affected by this? With the gastric sleeve, wise, um, well, in my, with no spleen, I take antibiotics okay. every morning and every night time. Um, I can't stand for too long because my back comes at me. Um, it's some days I have loads of energy, other days I'm sick. Like, I'm actually just sick, feeling, can't get out of bed. Um, it's it's dreadful, like, and then I have to watch myself because if anyone is sick at all, I have to stay away from that just person. Be careful, yeah, yeah. yeah. Leanne, Dr. Michael Crotty is with us on the line as well because Michael, you're a GP but you specialise in the area of of weight management and I know there's been a lot, you know, in recent days um, medics and doctors warning patients about um, going abroad for weight loss procedures and we we just heard Leanne's story and and, and the implications of that Is there more then that could be done at home? Yeah, I think I'm and kind of a, I'd kind of congratulate Leanne for sharing her story. Absolutely, yeah. It's not difficult, and I think it's it's important because I think you know um, a lot of these clinics, and and there is a huge variability, and and people kind of feel they've done their research about the clinics and and kind of investigate them or spoken to people, but again, sometimes the people they're speaking to uh, might be kind of getting a discount or being influenced um, to kind of encourage people to go for surgery. Uh, these these clinics are targeting people online through social media, particularly younger women um, are being targeted. It's very difficult to know the, the quality of the hospital and what they're doing. And some clinics might be very reputable centres, whereas others are not. But we're seeing in, in acute 
hospitals around the country, people being admitted with complications. Like some of the clinics, for what they're charging for the procedures, they couldn't possibly be able to afford the equipment and the the number of staplers and, and devices that are required. And that's why people are having leaks and having kind of complications. Now, not every person is going to have a complication, but no. uh, there's there's the acute issue of kind of you know the risk of risk of general anaesthetic and bleeding, like um, uh, uh, like was just kind of described. Then there's the issues with kind of things like blood clots kind of traveling so quickly after surgery. <clears throat> then there's the issue with kind of like you said the psychological, nutritional, medical follow up long term. We know obesity is a chronic disease. It is not something that is cured. It's managed long term, and surgery is a fantastically brilliant treatment for the chronic disease of obesity. It's really good treatment for people who are suitable. But the surgery is a once-off intervention. The care is required for life. So people need to be followed up and supported, um, you know, through through their journey because it's it's not like taking an antibiotic and you're cured. We manage it. Um, as far as kind of, you know, you can see why people are going abroad. People are desperate for treatment. They deserve Well, all the messages, Michael, I've had here from people are, are people telling me that they're on, on waiting lists um, mm, for, yeah. for years in some cases. Yeah. And that's and that's the challenge is is traditionally there hasn't been enough services provided, uh, there hasn't been the resources provided. Now uh, we're we're at a point where actually the tide is starting to turn. We have a new thing called the Model of Care for Obesity in Ireland, and I'm on the clinical advisory group uh, that has kind of been working on this and making recommendations. So the HSE is starting to see the the benefits that, to people's health, uh, to their well-being of managing obesity in an ev- in an evidence-based way. So the Model of Care for Obesity uh, uh, has now been kind of fully funded, and we're trying to kind of implement it where there is going to be more uh, surgeries done here, kind of in the public system. Uh, they're hoping that kind of the 400 surgeries that are done at the moment will increase to 800 next year and 1,200 the year after. There's going to be more surgical centres, but even that is still a drop in the ocean for kind of what we need. Uh, as far as kind of the, you know, there is also going to be community-based uh, dietitian led weight management services uh, to support people as well with medical nutrition therapy and uh, behavioural interventions. But again, even things like kind of, you know, uh, the medications that are safe and effective, they're not, they're not approved, or they're, they're approved, but they're not reimbursed. So people, uh, you can't get them covered under medical card or long-term illness or things for obesity. So so again, people are desperate for treatment. They need treatment. They want okay. treatment for their health, but they can't access it at the moment. But hopefully that's changing. Stay with us, Michael. I want to bring in David as well, because David, you got in touch um, about this. You, you're, you're struggling with your weight at the moment. Is that right? I uh, surely am. So tell me a little Big bit. Yeah, tell me about your story, David. Well, uh, uh, where do we go from? Uh, I went to my doctor a couple of weeks ago to ask for, I was embarrassed like asked him to help me to lose weight. And he wanted me to want this uh, Sam Dexter injection, which I said, okay, we'll try it, but then you have to get approval of the HSC for it, which I was turned down from, down for you, know. And were you given a reason why? No, no, they give no reason. Just tell, uh, email the doctor and say, no, you're not getting it. The doctor told me you could go on the, the two choices. It was uh, that injection or the gastric band surgery, but uh, waiting this for your first appointment for that is five years. And then he said you could be another five years waiting to have it done. I'll be dead again later. So it's about so about ten years you were you were told recently yeah, yeah, the Yeah, yeah. About ten years I'd be away in the You'd be well dead again then. And in the in terms of 
in the meantime, this interim, um, you said there's a, you know, a, um, you've you've applied for a, a drug that you could take in the meantime through the GP. But you, is it that you don't qualify for it? Is that the? I don't qualify somewhere. The doctor, my doctor thought I won it because I've uh, the BMI is forty seven point seven. I've uh, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and me fast and blood sugars were. 47. I don't know what that means, 47. So, I would have got it. Michael, you're, you're, you're still with us. I know you, you're you not terribly familiar with, with um, David's case, but like, are there other kind of interim measures then that people could, you know, avail of in the meantime? Like, if it's a 10-year wait. Yeah, so, so I suppose if we think about kind of treatment for the chronic disease of obesity, there's really three different treatments. There's surgical treatments, there's medication treatments, and then there's nutritional, behavioral, life treatments. And they're all kind of, you know, uh, different people respond to different treatments. So we talk about surgery, and in the public system in Ireland, there's a huge waiting list. There are private um, services in Ireland, but they're very expensive. And the hope is that those the availability will improve, but, but we have a long way to go. As far as the medications that, that David mentioned there, there is, uh, he mentioned Saxenda, which is a daily injectable medication. Uh, these type of medications were originally invented for diabetes, but now we use them for weight management. To have it covered by the, long, by the drug payment scheme or medical card, somebody needs to meet very strict criteria and then their doctor needs to put in an application to the HSE uh, showing that they meet the criteria. And the criteria is very strict. So uh, to, to be approved for it, somebody needs to have a BMI greater than 35. They need to be living with pre-diabetes, uh, which has to be proven on two separate blood tests, a fasting glucose and a HbA1c test. And then they need evidence of uncontrolled blood pressure or uncontrolled cholesterol despite blood pressure or cholesterol medication. So that is ferociously strict criteria. Mm. And there's probably very few people in Ireland that would meet it to, to get Saxenda. Now, Saxenda, this is the first time that a medication has been reimbursed uh, to treat obesity in Ireland. So on, in one hand, it's kind of a positive step, but it's just so restrictive in the number of people that it will, it will help. Uh, you know, the criteria are not necessarily all the people in Ireland who will benefit from this treatment. It's the people who qualify for it. Uh, if somebody has diabetes, then sometimes they can be prescribed a medication for their diabetes that will also help manage weight because these medications help both things. But the problem is if somebody doesn't meet the criteria to get it approved under the drug payment scheme or medical card, mm. then people are paying for these medications out of pocket. And again, they're ferociously expensive medications that people are taking. They're, they're safe and effective and they're really good. Not everybody responds and not everybody responds the same way. And they're usually used in conjunction with uh, nutrition therapy, with kind of psychological support, with uh, physical activity and other, and other supports. But they're a fantastic tool. The problem is the affordability and the access to them. To so them, yeah. again, okay. in the same way as people might be going abroad for surgery, again, people might be accessing these medications in, in more nefarious ways uh, through the interest and stuff like that, which is, which is hugely concerning because many people, you know, these these need to be prescribed appropriately and, and, and you know, advised by doctors. Yeah, absolutely. The more people getting in touch about this, do you know, I'm just going to take a, sh- a very short break. We will stay with this. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about this warning from some medics to Irish patients against going abroad for weight loss procedures. And we heard Leanne's story, a pretty incredible story, and the difficulties and implications that she had when she came home from a weight loss surgery abroad. Linda has got in touch. Linda, what's your story? Hi, uh, um, Andrea. Um, I I went. I've struggled with my weight practically my entire adult life. Um, there's 
a long history of heart disease, heart failure, massive heart attacks on both sides of my family, including my sister, um, and stroke. So I went for tests last year and I my blood sugar um, was 41. So I'm literally a hair's breadth away from pre-diabetes. Um, and the doctor basically told me, lose weight. I go um, to the doctor, you know, they tell you the best way to prevent heart problems is lose weight. The best way to prevent stroke and cholesterol problems, lose weight. But then when I ask them for help to lose the weight there, oh, no, sorry, unless you actually have those conditions, there's nothing we can do to help. The consultant told me if you were pre-diabetic, I could write you a prescription for that right now. The problem I have is that I'm on a medical card. So I'm priced out of the help that I need to prevent myself from getting those diseases. And I'm at risk of each and every one of them. Um, I wish it was as easy as, you know, eat less, move more. I've done that Mm. um, and it doesn't work. And I'm now in the position where I'm just like, feel like I'm looking at the train and it's heading straight for me. There's nothing I can do to stop myself from being hit by that train because Unless the consultant told me, like I said, unless I actually have those conditions, I can't get the help that I need. Like you're, you're nearly being told, Linda, that you know you're like I don't want to say you're, you're not bad enough, but that the blood sugar and cholesterol and and blood pressure and that if like you that needs to nearly be higher before you can yeah. be prescribed something. I said that to him. I said, so what you're telling me is, unless I'm actually diabetic or pre-diabetic, there's nothing you can do to help me. And he said, oh, I'm not saying that. And I said, yeah, but you were. And he just kind of nodded his head at me. He couldn't say no. He couldn't deny it. Um, And what frustrates me is the surgery is all well and good. My sister is on the early early process of starting that process. The waiting times are huge. I don't understand why the government or the HSC don't make the likes of Ozempic more available to those patients or to the patients that need it, because in terms of cost, surely it is far more expensive to put people through the the surgery than it is to provide the drugs. The waiting list wouldn't be as long. You know, I, for people like me, I feel like I will cost the, the country more if I get heart disease, lifelong problems with diabetics and uh, with diabetes or cholesterol problems, surely that's going to cost the country more in the long run than it would to provide me with the help that I need now right. to prevent those problems. And Michael Michael Crotty, the doctor that was with us a little earlier, talked about, you know, the, the strict qualifying criteria that's oh. that's in, in place in, in cases. And I'm, I'm sure you, you know that only too well. And yeah. like, what's the yeah. day-to-day effect of of this? You know, your, your day-to-day living. Do you know what? It's breathlessness. Um is the worst and you kind of feel like people are don't take you seriously and you say you're not well and they kind of look at you as say well you know lose the weight um I mean it's not that easy it's 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 soul destroying sometimes and this isn't vanity for me I I'm 50 I'm married I've got two children no this isn't vanity this is about me trying to make sure you know, I owe my children to make sure that I'm in their lives for as long as I can. And I'm trying to prevent myself from getting all the diseases and the, ish- and the problems that exist in my family. 
you know, my dad died of a massive heart attack. My mum had heart disease. My sister has heart disease. And there's diabetes in my dad's family severe and my my grand both grandfathers died of massive heart attacks i'm trying to prevent myself mm. from getting them and i i can't get any you help helpless nearly i'm totally yeah it's like i said i feel like the train is heading straight in my direction and there's nothing i can do about it and there's nobody prepared to help me either and that's not that's not nobody wants to feel like that linda no it's it, it you just it's indescribable, to be honest. It's hard to describe how it feels. And it's it's beyond frustrating because the help is there. Like this new drug that everybody is talking about, the Ozempic or Wegovy or Wagovy or whatever. There's a few different names I've heard it called. Um, it's there. It's been approved in other countries. Why not here? It comes down to money all the time. But like I said, people like I'm not the only one, but people like me will cost the country far more. When if we do get diabetes, heart disease, high cholesterol or strokes, we're going to be far more of a cost to the country then. Give us the help we need now to prevent that happening. And don't okay. force people to go through um, invasive surgery to get that help. K- Kieran is on the line as well, Linda. Kieran's joining us too. Um, is Linda's story something that, that resonates with you, Kieran? Um. Yeah, I, I, you know, my heart goes out to goes out to her, you know. But again, it, it, I mean, I, I spoke to you before about the, this issue. You know, there's, there's a few things. Um, it, it is completely, it, it is completely avoidable from a, from a human point of view, from a person's point of view. If you want, if you really want to do it, you can do it. Now, that's just that's my opinion, and we've done that from experience. But as far as the, the you know, the horror stories, that that first girl, that was a, a terrible horror story. I mean, uh, you say that the HSA aren't doing enough for, for people who are obese. I don't think the HSA are doing enough for anybody in this country, to be honest with you. You, you know, uh, I mean, you don't have to look too far. Now, it's not down to obesity and stuff like that, but the horror stories in this country uh, arising from, from the HSA, babies dying and stuff like that, and people trying to fight to get... Uh, Okay. Okay, so on, on the point just just on this particular point, Kieran, what was the, the point you wanted to make about it? Uh, look you know, like I said, it is it is it's completely being being obese is completely avoidable. If you really want to if you want is to do something sim- about it. Is it that it's not that simplistic though, Kieran? I, I it, but unfortunately it, it, it actually is that, and but the thing about it is, like it's hard. It, it is hard. Ask that girl how hard it is to lose weight. She's she's given up. You can hear it in that girl's voice. She's given up. That's how hard it is, and it's also hard as well because, like I said before, you go anywhere, you can go into a shop and buy as much food as you want and eat yourself to death in this country if you want it. And there's no there's nothing to stop you from doing it. You you know you, you can pull yourself out of these circles and stuff L- like that. Linda, you know? Linda, do you want to, to do you want to respond because that, that's the point that you mentioned a few moments ago. Like the kind of you know, like when as you say, if people or doctors have said. Like, do you yeah, want to respond? That's exactly the attitude. You know, she it's people assume that I've given up. I haven't given up. If if that guy only knew how much I haven't given up, and his attitude. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I can hear. Like I can hear it in your voice. I'm, I'm not just a second. Kieran, just let, let Linda respond it, there for a moment. If it was avoidable, trust me, I would have avoided it. But it's not. I have tried everything. I have not given up. And you know, it's it's so easy for some people to to say that. 
if I don't know this guy's um, history, I don't know what his story is, but if he doesn't have this problem, or even if he did have a problem with his weight and managed to lose it, brilliant. I am thrilled for him. But that his story is not my story. No, no and there's his loads story of other, is not the story of, other, of all the other people. Like, now, there's loads of other um, reasons behind it. As, as you said yourself earlier, and Linda, it's not as simplistic as, you know, eat less no. and move more at all. And, and, and any, any medical will tell you that. Richard's on the line as well. Richard, you, you wanted to get in contact about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, this is obviously an emotive subject. I worked in Canada. Um, I was a management consultant working in, in this sort of area. And the one thing I wanted to kind of say is this, that it, it doesn't matter what you do now from a healthcare point of view, okay? The, the amount of people that are overweight and obese are flooding the healthcare system. And, you know, everyone's waiting for this wonder drug to come along. It's way too late. We, we the problems I was working in had, had, uh, a treatment program, quite an advanced one, and we were able to put about 20,000 people through uh, a diabetes management every year, but we were getting 75,000 new cases every year on top of it. You cannot deal with that. It's a tsunami. The only way of dealing with this is to take money out of the healthcare system and put it into your public healthcare system. Right? You have, you have to head this off before it happens. In other words, you have to stop people getting overweight in the first place. We don't spend money on it. We wait till they're ill, and then we complain about lack of beds. We complain about lack of medicine. The solution to this is to stop it before it starts. Take the money away from treating, unfortunately, hard things to, to do, and put it into preventative medicine. It's the only way we're going to solve it. I, I predict 30 years' time, my healthcare systems will collapse because of diabetes. Comfortably. So, so when you go back to Linda's original point, which is that, like as Linda said, she nearly doesn't meet the qualifying criteria to avail of the um, any of the, the prescription medicines or, or drugs that are out there at the moment. Your point then, Richard, is that we should perhaps look at that. Uh, I think I think this is the trouble. It, 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 it's the reality of what we expect our healthcare system to do, right? I, I, the healthcare system, I, I, I come from the UK, our healthcare system is, you know, it's, it's, it's lauded around the world. It was never built for chronic disease. It was built for accident, emergency and acute yeah, we have a wave of chronic illnesses that's going to last. You know, if someone gets obese nowadays in their 20s, they, they don't, you know, they, they, they stay obese, ill, right through 70, 80 years of their life. It, you know, the, the sheer volume of people that need treatment for these things are, are, are causing massive strains on our healthcare system. And then the trouble is, and I get from an individual point of view, I, I get it. It's hard to lose weight. I struggle my weight up and down. I, I, I don't take drugs. I, I deal with it by fitness and, and dieting. But... Yeah, it's not easy. I get that, but the, but the reality is, if we all sit waiting for this magic pill to come along or the magic bit of surgery, we're never ever going to resolve this. We've got to change our thinking. It cannot be dealt with medically. Yeah, we're way beyond that at that point, right? Way beyond it. L- Linda, are you still are you still there, Linda? Yeah. As well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. Um, prevention rather than cure all the time. Yeah, all the way because okay. as Richard has just said, the sheer number of people who need treating for obesity equals the sheer amount of people that are waiting for a heart attack, for a stroke, and to be treated for high cholesterol problems and more. Um, So what would cost more to the government? You know, and I, I just think money needs to be put into the prevention, like Richard said, prevention rather than cure okay. all the time. Listen, Linda, thank you for, for sharing your story thank with us you. yeah, today on the programme. I appreciate that. And, and Richard and Kieran there as well for, for getting in touch. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.